0: Let us bow our heads in prayer. Let us pray. Father, in thy mysterious presence kneeling, fain would our souls feel all thy kindling love. For we are weak and need some deep revealing of trust and strength and calmness from above. Almighty God, Spirit of the universe, You who are one, though called by many names. Our spirits kneel as we become aware that we are already in your mysterious presence. We bow our heads before you this morning as individuals and as a congregation of those who seek to more fully be the people you call us to be. We humbly ask your blessing upon us. We especially ask that your blessing will awaken our consciousness of your presence with us and within us. As individuals, as a nation, and as a world, we are often confused and need some clear direction. We are complacent and need to be awakened by your challenge. We are shallow and need to experience your deepening, your kindling love. Fill our hearts and our minds with your presence, with your love, that we might find our grounding, our center in you, that our lives might be consciously filled with your presence and our days guided by your inner life. We thank you, God, for the gift of life, for we did nothing to deserve it. We thank you for all those who have been and who continue to be an important part of our life. We are grateful that we have been born into this nation, nation mighty in strength and promise and potential, a nation where we are committed to help every human being realize the fullness of life that you intend for us all, the opportunity to make of our lives what we will, when you will. God grant that we will never take our freedom lightly, nor forget that for those around the world are fighting this very moment for the cause that consumed our ancestors in the days of the revolution. Give us the wisdom and the courage to support those who seek their freedom, both individuals and nations, and not align ourselves either actively or by not taking a stand against those who are politically, socially, and economically oppressed. Place our feet solidly in the forefront of the movement for human rights, human dignity, human freedom by guiding us first to heal the iniquities in our own nation our own community our own homes and then by example by witness and by commitment to extend the realm of freedom to all your children save us from the sin of idolatry O God lest we make a God of our nation we know that there is only one God you who are God of all and it is to you alone that we owe our devotion. Give us the deep revealing that you have promised, the deep revealing that will bring us both strength and calmness, the inner peace and trust that come from you alone. Bring our nation under your guidance that we might walk in the ways of truth and peace. We might not forget that we are all brothers and sisters, and that we who have the capability of meeting human need also have the responsibility. God, in these moments of prayer, we open our hearts to all those whom we know to be in special need. We ask this our sanctuary prayer and our many prayers, both spoken and unspoken, in the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. first of our scripture lessons is taken from the book of Exodus, the 16th chapter Uh, verses 1 through 15. Um, This is part of the account of the Israelites uh, embarking upon the great exodus from uh, Egypt um, to the Holy Land. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you, meaning Moses, have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? He's talking about Moses and Aaron. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening. It's a quail. And you're full of bread the manna in the morning. Because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him. What are we? Your complaining is not against us but against the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, And in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance. As fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And from the Gospel according to John, the 8th chapter, verses 3 through 36. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand before all of them. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They said this to test Jesus so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. But once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I have come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. Then they said to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Again, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will search for me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Then the Jews said, is he going to kill himself? Is that what he means by saying, where I am going, you cannot come? Jesus said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. They said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, why do I speak to you at all? I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but the one who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will realize that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the father instructed me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. This ends our scripture lessons for this morning. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Around the 4th of July, our celebration of the process by which our nation gained its political and economic independence from England, we are reminded of the issue of freedom. In many ways, the history of our country has been inextricably interwoven with the matter of freedom because the emigration of the Pilgrims and Puritans was over an issue of freedom, the freedom to worship God as they pleased, our identity as New Englanders and our roots in the congregational tradition are tied to freedom. The Civil War was a struggle for freedom, for a people to be freed from the bonds of slavery, as also was the labor movement and the struggle for LGBTQ people for human rights in this century. The Women's Liberation Movement has been a struggle for freedom. Women's freedom to claim their rights politically, economically, and their rights over their own bodies, their own reproductive system. We are aware that both men and women have the right to be free from the enslaving gender role stereotypes of our patriarchal culture. In the socio-political realm, the course of history can be interpreted as a movement toward freedom. In the early years of humankind, because lifestyles were defined quite rigidly by the necessities of life, there was little latitude for an individual to carve out his or her own meaning in life, different or apart from that of the rest of the group. Identity was collective, not individual. The history of progress in civilization has been the history of people who have fought their way free of the political, social, economic, and religious shackles that bound them. People who were brave enough to think, to dream, and to work toward the fulfillment of their dreams. People who opened up new possibilities of life for others by their struggles. A powerful force, however, has kept the movement toward personal and national freedom from being smooth. As the existential psychoanalyst Eric Fromm suggests, in his book, Escape from Freedom, freedom brings with it a certain amount of isolation, anxiety, responsibility, and the possibility of failure. Tensions which many people seem reluctant to bear. As a consequence of this existential fear, this existential anxiety, some people hand over their precious freedom to someone else. The people who have a need to control others in ways that infringe on individuality on God-given and constitutional rights. Those who have a need or a desire to control others may even take away the freedom, the individuality of people whom they love. This happens not uncommonly in relationships and within the family. This morning, we listened to a small part of the story of the Great Exodus. As you recall, Moses was trying to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to a land that could be their own, a land where they could discover their own identity and live out their God-given meaning in life. Moses initially reluctantly, initially fearfully, went to a great deal of trouble to instigate and then lead this miraculous exodus. He was led on by a dream, a vision that had been planted in him by God, a dream not only for himself but for all his people. As we heard this morning, the Israelites resisted the hardships that inevitably accompany a journey toward freedom. They constantly whined and complained. They told Moses and Aaron that they would rather die as slaves in Egypt than carve out a new life for themselves in the wilderness, rather than fight for a land of their own in Canaan. It was as if part of them wanted to be free, Part of them felt it would be easier and more comfortable to remain slaves, and of course it would. However, as we know, there is a price for everything, and there is a very high price for giving up our freedom. We don't have to go back to the history of ancient Israel to illustrate our tendency to abdicate the rights and responsibilities of freedom. The Bill of Rights in our nation's constitution protects what our founders considered to be unalienable, God-given rights, God-given freedoms. But the majority of citizens seldom take advantage of these rights and are lax when it comes to protecting them. The battle for individual freedom within our country is being fought out day by day in the Supreme Court and in the Justice Department. Within our own and other countries, there are religious groups that would limit people's legitimate rights and freedoms because they believe that they know what God wants, not only for them, but for all of us, and who believe they have a right and a divine call to impose their religious views and values on everyone. Our scripture lesson helps us to realize that the struggle for freedom is not entirely an external battle like the one we fought against England. It is also a battle within us, for each of us has to fight the tendency to yield the responsibility for our life to someone else. The American philosopher and educator John Dewey, writing in 1939, just before our involvement in World War II, made the following observation, the serious threat to our democracy is not the existence of foreign totalitarian states. It is the existence within our own personal attitudes and within our own institutions of conditions similar to those which have given a victory to external authority, discipline, uniformity, and dependence upon the leader, capital letters, in foreign countries. The battlefield is accordingly here, within ourselves and our institutions. This battle can be won only by extending the application of democratic methods. Methods of consultation, persuasion, negotiation, communication, cooperative intelligence, and the task of making our own politics, industry, education, our culture generally a servant and an evolving manifestation of democratic ideas. End quote. John Dewey had an interesting philosophy of education. Dewey believed that freedom is not the starting point, but rather the goal of education. It's something that takes a lot of discipline, a lot of hard work. We can work toward attaining vocational freedom through education or job training, eventually realizing the freedom to engage in satisfying work. We can become freer as persons, free of our past and our psychological complexes through psychotherapy or by entering into growth experiences of some kind. We can become freer in our relationships with each other, free of our conditioned expectations of ourselves and other people. But this takes honest, self-conscious reflection. Freedom is not a gift, not the starting point in life. It is rather the goal toward which we strive a goal that has been fulfilled most deeply by persons like Jesus and the Buddha. If we work hard enough, freedom may be the end product. Now, we may not be thrilled with Dewey's notion that freedom is attained only through years of discipline, hard work, if it is ever fully attained in one lifetime, but what would lead us to believe that this precious gift should come without high cost? What makes us think that, as individuals, we shouldn't have to fight for our freedom? Fight just as the ancient Israelites fought against those who would enslave them, and also fight against the parts of themselves that would accept conditions of servitude. The temptation to give up our freedom and to take away the freedom of others to achieve social and cultural stability appears to be strong not only in our nation, but in other nations as well. With regard to relationships, many individuals remain trapped in unhealthy dependencies long after they become conscious of them, long after they know they should move on. These individuals are afraid of fighting, afraid of the loneliness that accompanies freedom, or they are afraid that they will not be able to cope with life, afraid they will make a mess of things once they attain the freedom that should be theirs. In theological language, this stance, the stance of the ancient Israelites, would be described as being tied to the power of sin. If you believe it is a sin to claim your own individuality, if it offends others, to affirm yourself if it inconveniences others, then you are in a bond. If you believe it is a sin to admit you made a mistake in the choice of a marital partner, or a mistake to stay in a relationship the way it is, then you are in a bind. If your theology is built around a God who values peace at any price, a God who cannot accept mistakes, you will throw away your freedom. We need to remember how much God values human freedom. As the deliverer of the plagues, God killed many people to get the Israelites out of Egypt. This was the insight that came to Jesus' disciples, that came to Paul and the early leaders of the church. Paul knew that a person might have to offend others to say what needed to be said, or to do what needed to be done. This is what the disciples learned from following Jesus, for Jesus stepped on many people's toes. I don't know what makes us think that God does not walk with us on the road to freedom, or accompany us in the battles we must undertake. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Paul writes to the Corinthians at Rome, do you not know that if you yield yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. You see, what if handing away our freedom not being ourselves fully is a sin? What if not becoming and being the individual unique human being God calls us to be is the sin against the Holy Spirit, the sin which can never be forgiven. You have the freedom and the responsibility to make of yourself what you will. God wants you to claim the freedom which is given. you. As the Apostle Paul points out, it is ours to choose to what or to whom we will become enslaved. To another person, to our society, to secular standards of success, to the fear of assuming responsibility, or the fear of making a mistake. We choose, we create the world in which we live. To become slaves of God means to grow, to become the individuals God wants us to become. The God whom Jesus showed us, whom Jesus incarnated, would not bind us to historically outdated scriptural legalisms. We need to be free from any God or any mistaken concept of God that would stifle our healthy growth as persons. God wants us to grow as individuals and in our relationship with others. God is willing to accept our mistakes as we travel along. This is a comforting realization because we certainly will make mistakes. Our acceptance of the call to pursue and embrace the real freedom is the first step, as well as the final goal of the journey. In his letter to the church at Galatia, Paul wrote, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Unquote. Take the responsibility for your life, and then step forward. As the ancient Israelites learned so long ago, if you begin your journey toward freedom you'll find that God is working and walking with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, help us to learn that only as we become disciples, as disciplined, as followers of your Lord, of your Son, our Lord, that we will become truly free, free to be the unique, whole individuals that you call us to be. So guide us in our path and our walk toward freedom and help us to assist all those who are struggling with us in any way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.